You're listening to Are You Happy Business Podcast on Captivate. Hello, Are You Happy Podcast. I'm here with Jordan Hankins. She got out of college, started as a real estate agent, eventually opened up her own real estate brokerage, started off with multifamilies and then delved into the luxury real estate space, was very successful in that until um, what she will share with you had a life-changing moment, um, which brought her down a spiritual journey. Um, which I'm sure you will all be happy to hear about. I am very inspired by her story, um, and I want you guys to hear it. She now is a content creator, and she's a wellness coach. Um, So if you ever need any wellness coaching, which I'm sure everybody has some sort of desire to get into that, and if you don't, you should explore options, and we will give you um, possible um, options today. We're going to talk about Vipassana. Um, which is a, is a sort of retreat um, that me and Jordan are both familiar with. Um, and then, yeah, I want Jordan to just quickly, if you can um, share sort of your um, story in a quick way, and then we could delve into the specifics afterwards. Um, just, I want you to, since I said there was a turning point, I want you to highlight that turning point. Yeah. Yeah. So thanks for that introduction. Um, Yeah. So basically I was, um, had a real estate brokerage in a, in one of the fastest growing cities of America, which is Dallas, Texas, and basically um, had a kind of just crisis um, in my life. I was going through a lot of things. um, But on top of that, found out that a disease that I had been diagnosed with when I was 15 um, actually was progressing quite rapidly. And that disease actually leads um, most people to blindness. Uh, So basically about a year ago, um, I basically quit everything in my life when I found out that I was possibly going blind. And I decided that I was going to start living my life in the most authentic way possible, um, which was basically leaving everything that I had been doing for the past seven years. And so like, can you explain sort of that was perfect. That was a perfect quick synopsis. Um, can you explain what that that one month moment like when you so you were 30 years old at the time? Um, and then you had your real estate brokerage and then it all started to fall apart. And you had this like, I guess, sense of urgency to do the things that you've always wanted to do. Yeah. So basically, um there was about a month or two months worth of time frame that. Um, I was having issues with my business partner at the time, and I decided um, while well, I was having issues with him, um, and then I had ended up going to a doctor's appointment to follow up with my vision, and I found out that I there was a possibility I wouldn't have vision in two years. And so amongst having issues with my business partner at the time, I decided that I just needed to leave that situation. Um, So within about a month or two months, I lost my business. I found out that I possibly was going blind. And I also was going through a heartbreak at the time. So um, I essentially really started to lose it. And I somehow got convinced in my mind that um, after I was able to come out of like a really suicidal, depressive a uh, couple of, well, I say couple of, like six months after getting out of that uh, part, 
I was able to realize I kind of decided that everything that had been happening in my life all was happening for a very divine reason. I had always wanted to travel. I had always wanted to kind of live like a nomad life, but I always thought that I needed to be responsible. I needed to have this business. I needed to do all of these things to set myself up for my future. And I realized that me basically losing my business, um, finding out I might go blind and going through a heartbreak all at one time, I just realized that Um, it was like a big metaphor for life that like, not only do they tell you to live every day, like it's your last, but when you find out you may not be able to see, um, very like in a short period of time, I realized like, I wanted to see everything that I possibly could see, uh, right now. And I didn't have time to waste and plan to do it later. So that's kind of like why I just decided to take that leap because I didn't know how much longer I'd have vision. Uh, I happen to have a friend who has a similar or same um, eye, a rare eye disease that you have. And we talked about that earlier. And he shared the same thing about how knowing that your vision is going to be lost at some point, um, you are more grateful for the things that you see and like you want to just consume everything um, you can before that vision goes away. However, me talking like this, I've, I'm sure in the back of your head, you're thinking, wait, but what about Eastern medicine um, or all that me- or whatever? It's Eastern medicine, correct? Uh, about- mm-hmm. So yeah, can you share a little bit about how you um, are now approaching this whole eye disease? Yeah, so essentially, um, as I mentioned, I got diagnosed when I was 15 and they always told me, uh, there's not any cure. There's not, it's untreatable. And we have no idea what it's good. We don't know if it's going to progress quickly, fast. Like there's, there's just, it's a big question mark. So when I basically quit everything with my life, I, for some reason had a huge pull to go to this random remote Island, um, in Southern Thailand. And it was so weird. It it literally is an island. Like you have to take three planes and a boat to get there. And I just had this desire to go to this place. It was, it was so weird. So I go to this place and when I go there, um, it's just this like hippie spiritual place. And everyone that I met kept asking me about my nutrition and about my stress levels. And it was weird because I would be in this retreat or that retreat. I just would anywhere I would go, I would, everyone asked me that. And everyone also kept telling me, well, I cured myself from an incurable disease from nutrition. And I kept hearing that everywhere I went. And I was on that Island for two and a half months. So I was introduced to somebody while I was there that basically she got diagnosed when she was 22 of cancer and she only had six months to live. And she basically um, cured herself from cancer and she's been doing her work for the past 20 years. And um, I just kept meeting people that said that this woman was amazing. So I decided to start working with her and Essentially, in a nutshell, um, all that it is that we're doing is basically going down to my nutrition and my stress levels. So I've done a lot of research and I've also been on this journey for the past four months of basically dedicating everything in my life to meditation, doing yoga, and really heavily focusing on a specific nutritional like plan. And um, I'm seeing just crazy changes in the way that I look, the way that I feel, 
Um, and I'm even like, I noticed this might sound absolutely crazy, but like, I've started to notice that I like having, like when I would normally have to wear my glasses for certain things, I'm actually taking off my glasses to be able to see stuff now. And it's just like, people think that nutrition and our stress levels have nothing to do with diseases. But what I've found um, is it's quite the opposite. So I'm kind of just taking my disease into my own hands and I'm trying to do everything that I can to either stop the progression or possibly reverse it. And if for some reason this does nothing for me, um, it's okay because I've actually, I'm the best version of myself that I've ever been now. So I've totally accepted, like, if I do go blind in two years or five years, like, I'm so happy with who I am now that like, it's all been so worth it. It seems like the stages of grief that we talked about before a call, you're like at that point of acceptance about, right. but, um, just, I have two questions and one of them is what is the name of that Thailand Island? Because I'm sure our audience will be curious to know. And then secondly, um, also maybe also explain your inspiration to go to that specific island. And then secondly, what does your nutrition plan look like just for the audience to know? Yeah. So the island that I went to is called Copenhagen. And it is basically you fly into Bangkok and then you fly to a place called Koh Samui. So there's like a strip of islands all of the southern tip of Thailand. So I flew into Bangkok, flew to Koh Samui, and then from Koh Samui, which is an island, you go from that island and take a boat to the other island. So um, it's called Copenhagen. And it's, um, I honestly feel like going there saved my life, like actually saved my life. Um, like you and I were talking earlier, like I had been in such a crazy headspace for six months and I could not, I could not figure out how I was going to live the rest of my life and why I should even continue living the rest of my life if I was going to go blind and going somewhere like that, where, um, I just met so many people that were on their own personal healing journey. It just, it gave me inspiration because going to a place like that, you meet all different types of people with all different types of stories. And, um, it just, it really, really saved my life. So I highly recommend, um, it's people are familiar with going to like Bali, uh, Copenhagen is like very similar to Bali. It's just a remote Island in Thailand. Um, as far as the nutrition that I'm doing. So, um, I want to preface the fact that what I'm doing um, is specific to me. I'm a very big believer that all of our bodies and all of us are super unique. So um, what I'm doing for my body as of right now is I'm on a complete raw vegan diet. So I only eat two meals a day at 10 a.m. and at 2 p.m. And I'm on a whole bunch of herbs. I probably take about 12 herbs twice a day. And um, I only eat fruits and vegetables that are uncooked. And I dry fast every once every 10 days. So I, I like to preface that because I definitely don't believe that there's just like a one solution for everyone. Like all of our bodies are so different. Um, what, how long does your dry fast last? 
so the dry fast that I'm doing as of right now is I try to dry fast for 36 hours, but I do know that eventually I'll get up to doing like 10 day dry fast and it's very frightening, but I'm sure eventually it'll be much longer dry fast. <laughs> I, uh, real, real quick before we get into a conversation of Vipassana, because you were just talking about some like ex- sort of like not extreme, extreme is only what I think, but extreme practices to really um, improve your mental health, like fasting. Um, so I want to talk about Vipassana because you got to that. However, I want to go back and talk about Thailand really quickly. Um, I remember in a conversation, you talked about how when you're in Thailand, people were telling you that you need to stop your self-improvement process. Um, can we speak to um, what they really meant by that? Yeah. So, um, I, so a lot of the teachers that, cause the specific place that I went initially, uh, we basically would have philosophy classes every day, like several times a day. And the teachers that I continue to meet one in particular, her name was Allie. She always would, would refer to the self-improvement project that we are all on. And I really loved that concept and that idea, because I think that we went so many, we went to two different extremes. Our parents and our grandparents' generations were not concerned. We're not even aware about mental health. And now our generations are so hyper-focused on mental health that now um, I feel that everyone is on this journey that there's something wrong with them and that they need to fix themselves or that they have all this trauma or whatever. And granted, we do have all of our own unique experiences and we do have things that shape us. But I think something that's been really detrimental to our mental health even more is thinking that we need to fix ourselves. And I think that that's something that I learned doing Vipassana retreats is that I had spent the past probably like my entire life really trying to fix this like, oh, I have depression. Oh, I have anxiety trying to fix myself. And I realized during my Vipassana retreat that there was actually nothing wrong with myself at all. I'm actually divinely perfect. Um, and that it's just, it's all coping mechanisms that in my opinion, that if everyone learned how to meditate, if it was something that they taught kids in school, our society would be so much happier, so much healthier, and we'd be able to make a lot more like conscious decisions if we all just were able to learn that meditation. So Vipassana changed my life. <laughs> yeah, you're right. I feel like we're, as we were talking about earlier, I keep referring to earlier because we had a long conversation, but like it is about making those conscious decisions because I feel like we're constantly distracted. And even if you're not like, you don't feel like there's a phone in front of you or a person trying to distract you. Like maybe you're in the car and you're on, you're listening to music. Like that alone is preventing you from, from letting you recollect your thoughts and stay conscious and like, um, I guess, catch up with your thoughts. And so when you go on a Vipassana retreat, you have 10 days or nine days or whatever many days of silence. And all you have to do is confront those thoughts. Um, can you share a little bit about I mean, you can introduce Vipassana again for the audience to learn, but also just share about your experience with Vipassana and how. Yeah. 
Yeah. So with meditation, if you are familiar with meditation at all, um, there's lots of different types of meditation, a lot, but one of the meditations is Vipassana and it's been practiced for thousands of years. And essentially that specific meditation, and this is to my understanding, of course, everyone has different understandings of it, but my understanding is Vipassana is really focusing primarily on your breath. And so as you were talking about distractions, that what is happening when you're doing Vipassana meditation is that you are noticing because you're focusing on your breath, you're noticing everything and you begin to notice all the distractions that you have. So whether that be, oh, I'm, I hear a noise outside, you're focusing or you're observing hearing, whether you're hungry, you're observing hunger, whether you're thinking about like something I noticed when during my retreat, I would, um, I would start having flashbacks from things that I did when I was like five, like a bowling alley that I went to one time. And it really started to show me how much every single thing that we've ever experienced is really stored in our brain and in our body. And, um, so Vipassana is really just observing your thoughts and observing sensations. And you do that by focusing on your breath. So as you were talking about with distractions, I didn't even realize that one of the monks that taught us was explaining to us, like, we go, we have nice houses. We go on pretty vacations with beautiful views. Like we distract ourselves even from locations. Um, And I think that that was something that was really key with like being where I was in a hut in the jungle, that you're not in some luxurious, beautiful place. Like you're in bare, raw, minimum stuff. And it just made me realize how much every single thing around us, like you said, music, everything is a distraction, everything. And even when you think that you're sitting by yourself, um, more than likely there's distractions happening too. So that's a long answer. (laughs) And that that I want to ask questions about, but I guess I was limited to one or one and a half or two. You talked about distractions and how on your retreat, you were thinking about even like the littlest bit of noise that like that distracted you. Um, We actually have a client um, who is a social media psychologist. And she talks about how the simple fact of leaving your phone in your room, even if you're not using it, but leaving your phone in your like, I guess at arm's reach um, is a distraction. And you're like thinking about it. And I feel like when you're talking about distractions at Vipassana, I feel like if I were to go, I would like, at least in the beginning, like be clutching for my phone, like just like going, going to grab it. Um, just cause I feel like our bodies are just like built, like, like evolved like that. Um, and I'm in the sauna a lot of the times and I'm looking at people on their phones and they'll like, uh, I specifically remember watching this, like, like observing this one kid who was like a teen and he would like go on a Snapchat and then put it down and then without fail like after like a minute like every time around a minute he would pick it up again and it was just like unconscious impulsive and i feel like going out of a possum retreat challenges those impulsivities and like it's probably very uncomfortable to not have that satis- satisfaction but at, over time from what i've gathered from what you said it feels like it seems as though you have a sort of a weight like you get past that point and then maybe at the midway point, um, things start to transform. Perhaps you can talk. I don't want to talk about experience I didn't have, but I want to hear the specifics about like the timeline 
of events while you're on your Vipassana retreat? And then yes. I want, um, so that's my question, but I do want to comment on how you had flashbacks on your Vipassana retreat from when you were a kid. Um, I constantly am hearing about um, people saying in like the psych field about how um, the, your memories from like your first like five or six years of your life have such a profound impact on the on like who you are and i've always thought about myself as like never being able to remember anything past like eight years old and it's been challenging for me and um i did challenge myself to like really sit down and try to think about certain memories and like you said all your experiences are stored in your body and i was able to gather some of those like very like traumatic experiences when i was from when i was young um and it was very eye-opening because it's it definitely does have an impact on who I am today, like the experiences that I uncovered. Um, and you saying everything we experienced during our body made me think about what we talked about earlier about like how you felt like you were like so euphoric, almost high on your Vipassana retreat. And so people think that they need a drug or to access the memories we're talking about um, and kind of like maybe like some sort of shrooms or whatever to like go back and like, or, um, or else do whatever people take to like be able to see these things and how they've impacted their life. But in reality, if you really just go to the Boston retreat, you'll feel similar feelings and it will not damage your brain. Um, and then, yeah, I, I, I do like what you said about how we distract ourselves with locations. I never really thought about that because whenever I'm stressed out, I like go to maybe like a waterfall or like a um, park or something, but right. it's like, a distraction and it's interesting how vipassana locations are very simple and like there's no real and there's not there's nothing to consume but yeah my question in the beginning was can you share your timeline um on your vipassana retreat and anything else that you want to share about it? the timeline as far as like what it looked like throughout the day well, no what it felt like for you like the transformative experiences mm. just like what happened on the first day? Was there a big turning point? On like <laughs> there was. Um, so essentially, like you were talking about, about like you do at first, you are kind of like you're you kind it's kind of crazy because you feel naked. You have you don't have that phone to go like distract yourself with. So that was kind of the first, like, you know, maybe day. But then eventually I started to feel like so free because I knew like, you know, like you get emails, you have bills, you have things that are popping up on your phone. And so for the first time I felt so carefree because I didn't have anything reminding me of anything that was happening in my life. The only thing that mattered or that I had comprehension of was actually what was happening, like literally at that moment in the, that retreat. So that was kind of the first part of it is that I was at first kind of uncomfortable. Then I felt so much bliss. And then at one specific point, um, I actually did have a breaking point. We, they talked to us about at our Vipassana retreat, they talked to us about like different levels of meditation and how at some specific points during meditation, you will actually feel um, you will feel euphoric and you, they will tell you, you will feel like you are on drugs. And I 
was able to reach that a handful of times during the retreat. But at one point in time, I was talking to one of my teachers because we would have like 10 minute interviews every day with our teacher. And it was just a one-on-one interview. And I was telling him it was probably day five. I told him that I, I really wanted to leave. And he, um, and I was telling him that I wanted to leave because I felt like I wasn't able to do this. I told him, I was like, I can't turn my brain off. Um, basically I was, I was ready to quit. I was like, I'm never gonna be able to do this. I can't do it. I've been trying to do it because you meditate for 14 hours a day. Um, so I was like, basically I was like, and I told him, you know, I've been in survival mode my entire life. And I've, I learned that over the past, like couple of months of being in Thailand. And I told him, I was like, I don't want to be in survival mode anymore. If I can't get this, I don't want to try anymore. Like, I just want to be at peace with not getting it. And he, you know, understood, he validated what I was feeling, but he started to ask me, he started to ask me about what I was feeling during my meditation. And I was explaining to him what I was experiencing. And he just started smiling. And as soon as he started smiling, I knew, I knew, I just, I knew what he was going to say, kind of. And he just looked at me. What'd you say? He probably made you feel like you were on the right path. And that was like a natural occurrence. All, yeah. All he had to do was smile at me. And I just knew. And he basically looked at me and he said, Jordan, he's like, you're getting it. He was like, you're having things happen to you that people don't have happen to them after practicing for two years. He was like, you are getting it. And he just looked at me and he said, you need to trust yourself. And when I left that conversation, I started crying, like bawling, crying, because I started to look back at every single thing in my life when I did not trust myself. And I realized that all of my suffering in my life, whether it be from relationships or business problems or financial problems, like everything that I had ever suffered from in my life was all rooted from not trusting myself. But I also realized that I never would have been able to trust myself because I never had a quiet enough mind to even know what I needed to be doing. So it just, that was a huge, like that was a huge moment. It was day five and I'll never forget. I literally was meditating and I just like, cause during it, we did walking meditation and sitting meditation and I was doing a walking meditation And I just collapsed on the ground and I just bawled, cried for like an hour. And my teacher, my teacher, mind you, that I had that conversation with, he was just over there in the corner, just watching me. You know, they just, they know, they know that we're all kind of losing our mind, but also putting together all of these pieces that we've always needed to know. So it's just like, you know, it's, it's regular for them to just see people like having a breakdown. (laughs) It was that ego death that we talked about. Or yes. That. Yeah. So I hope I answered your question. That was kind of the timeline of it. <laughs> what did you, because you kind of left it out. If you're comfortable sharing, what did you like share with them that you were like, what were you going through on that day five? Um, what was I? So really what I was going through is just that like, I, I felt like for the, what, what I told him specifically was the first one or two days of the meditation retreat, the Vipassana, I loved it. I was like, this is great. Like, I love this. I'm great at this. I can meditate. Like I felt really great about it. And then as the days went on, it seemed like it got harder and harder to clear my mind. Um, it just, it kept like, it was so hard to clear my mind. 
And that's what I told him that I was like, you know, I cannot clear my mind. Like I am just an anxious person. My mind is always moving. Like I am thinking about what I'm going to do when I leave here. How I'm, what am I going to, I mean, cause mind you, I had just left my entire life. So I was trying to figure out what am I going to do like next month? Like, where am I going to live? Like all these thoughts. And I told him, I'm like, I can't turn my mind off. And, and it really didn't even matter what I was thinking, because as I mentioned to you, like it's any thought. it could be, oh, I have a thought about a bowling alley. I went to one time or, oh, I had a thought about where I met my best friend one time. You know, it's just, it wasn't even a specific thought that I was struggling with. It was that I had flooding thoughts in my mind all the time. And they were random things like about a time I ate spaghetti one time. It was just, it was random things that didn't even make sense. And I just was explaining to him, like, I can't turn my mind off. (laughs) So that's basically, that was, it wasn't even really anything specific. That's so weird. Of everything you're saying, I can like kind of, Everything else that you talked about, imposter, it's like, it seems kind of expected, but that aspect of like random, like absolutely random thoughts of like you eating spaghetti, flooding your brain is just sort of a surprise to me. Um, But yeah, you said you guys meditate 14 hours a day. That's a little bit crazy. And then you said you wake up at what, 5 a.m.? So you wake up at 4 a.m. And the last meditation ended at 9.30 at night, I think. So you literally... Essentially, you're meditating from 4 a.m. to like 9.30 at night. Granted, you do have like, you have two-hour breaks. Um, There's two two two-hour breaks. And then you do eat two meals. But yeah, I mean, you're literally sitting on the concrete. Uh, Granted, like we had like a yoga mat. But not only is it hard mentally to turn your brain off, but nobody comprehends also the physicality of sitting for 14 hours. Um, And then not to mention you're sleeping on wood pallets too. So you're not getting good sleep either. And it was crazy because they told us during the Vipassana, they told us during like the instructions that when you start becoming more enlightened, that you need less sleep which is ironic because most monks, like they don't, they don't sleep for but four or five hours. So they explain that like, you need less sleep. And one specific night I, because they would wake us up with a gong in the morning, you would just hear a gong. uh, And that was just how you got woken up. So one night I woke up in the middle of the night. I had no idea what time it was because it was dark outside and we wake up at when it's dark every night, but I woke up And, um, and I thought that I had heard the gong, but I wasn't sure. So I laid in bed for a while and I was like, did I hear the gong? Did I not hear the gong? Long story short, I got up in the middle of the night and went to the meditation shala and there was no one there. And I, something in me told me just to sit down and meditate because I was like, you know what? Something woke me up out of my sleep and I need to just sit with this. So I sat down and it was crazy because I just had this like download of it was like something was getting poured into my brain. And some of these problems, there was like a couple of problems that like I had been trying to deal with in my mind for years. And it was like all this stuff just started pouring into my brain about why those things had happened or what my purpose was with those things. And it was crazy just because like, 
like you talked about needing to do drugs. Like I I've done shrooms, I've done ayahuasca, like I've done a lot of stuff to try to reach these answers and to try to fix myself from depression. And it was crazy because I realized during Vipassana that like, I didn't need any of those things. Like those things can be very useful, but the actual true solution is everything is already inside of you. And it was like, I I realized that that night that I got woken up in the middle of the night out of nowhere. And I just got all of these answers that I had been seeking for forever. So that gave me the chills for like the third time in the school. (laughs) (laughs) But like, that's crazy. Um, I have a lot of questions, but I limit myself. Um, I do. I am curious about your ayahuasca experience. If you want to share. (laughs) If you don't, then I would like to learn about. like the next step after your Vipassana, like what you did. Like, I feel like the audience would love to know what happened after that. Because No, I can, I have a whole, I recorded a YouTube about my ayahuasca experience and it's like an hour long. So I'm totally down to talk about any of it. Um, what Just do you- Real quick, like the, like, I guess you had a one hour YouTube channel, but like the best um, points from that YouTube <laughs> episode, uh- like what are like some of the, biggest transformative pieces of it that you can like talk about just share it but in a brief and impactful way is what I'm asking so I think probably one of the most beautiful things that I experienced during my ayahuasca experience which there's a whole reason why I even did ayahuasca but I thought ayahuasca was going to cure because I had been diagnosed with being bipolar since I was in high school I thought that that's what was going to cure that so I had wanted to do it for five years, ended up doing ayahuasca. And probably the most beautiful thing that I experienced from it is that at one point in time, I, during my experience, I saw my mom and she was naked in front of a mirror and she was looking at herself. You know how we do when you're naked, you look at yourself in the mirror and she was looking at herself and I could feel her um, I could feel her, like I could feel the things that she was insecure about. I could feel the things that she loved about her body. Um, and it was weird cause I was looking at my mom, but I also was my mom. And so what I had realized in that experience that that was actually, it was me realizing that like, I needed to love myself the way that my mom loves me. And that the way that she loves me is unconditionally. She thinks I'm perfect. She, you know, she made me. And so that was probably the biggest takeaway that I had was just like, not only seeing her as a human being and not just my mother, but also feeling as if I was, I was her and that I needed to give myself this love, the self-love that I had never given myself ever, that I needed to love myself like a mother would love their child, if that makes sense. Yeah, it's funny you say that. Very funny, very coincidental, because I just talked to my mom the other day and she's constantly sending me like these TikToks. Like she just got into TikTok and like social media. So she's sending me these reels and I ignore almost like 90% of them. But like, <laughs> the day, like last week I watched one and it really made me feel like what you just said. Like my mom wants the best for me. She's unconditionally loving me. And if I like, I guess, treated myself, I don't know how to explain it, but just like believe in myself the same way she believes in me um and have that same level of like self-love and self-respect that she knows i deserve 
I have like a then point, but I think that statement just ends there. Um, <laughs> yeah, I said if, but like, I feel like that's very important. Um, at least, I don't want to say to every mom, but like, I feel like most moms feel like that way about their children, that they want the best for them. And they hate every time that they're like, maybe disrespected in a, in a relationship by someone and aren't getting the love they deserve. Or um, maybe, I know my mom is very unconditionally loving. Like if I knew if I was in a rut and I like maybe didn't have a job or whatever, like she'd be there to support me and like want the best for my mental health before anything else. Um, and I feel like if we just treat ourselves the way that we are, our moms with the same self-respect that our moms think that we deserve, then we would all be better. Um, and like, I guess have more, um, be more accepting of who we are and more like have more self-love, self-respect and ultimately lift us up to like be the best versions of, of ourselves. Um, no, yeah. definitely. And I wanted to add to that, that, you know, not everybody has great relationships with their parents. So I do also want to include that. I think something that I learned is that even if you don't have a great relationship with like these parental figures, or maybe that they weren't the people that maybe they didn't love you the way that, that you needed to be loved. I think also something that I've realized about that experience that I witnessed for me is that it also was like parenting, like they talk about your inner child and parenting yourself the way that you would need love and take care of yourself the way that you would have needed to be taken care of. So I think that I know a lot of people who have lost their parents or have a strange relationship with their parents. And I think like, that's really kind of like the biggest thing is like, love yourself the way that you would have needed love from your mother. Um, and I always think about my dog. Like I, I talk, tell my dog how beautiful she is probably six times a day. And it's like, if I just did that to myself, like I would be the most confident person in the world. Yeah. It's funny. Cause I actually do every so often, um, look at myself in the mirror and like gas myself up and be like, you're so awesome. You're so attractive. Blah, 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 blah. And like, That's awesome. I, I don't, if I have that, that feeling to do it, I don't care if other people in the room. So some people have witnessed it, but that's so cute. I love that. Yeah. And they're like, what are you doing? You're so, your ego is like crazy, but I don't really care. It's just like, it's it's not that I, it's just I'm trying, trying to tell myself something that I, I want to believe and that I know if I fully believe in it, it's good. It's not like me being like having a huge ego. But anyways. Oh, yeah. But I like that we're talking about um, like parenting and stuff because as you were talking, I remembered my sister um, telling me one day, when I was very anxious, um, she was like the way I like to, when, I, when I'm having an anxiety attack or just going through it, she said, you should nurture yourself like you would a baby. And just like, um, like whatever you would do to a baby, just like, it's going to be okay. Just like, like really just like think about it in terms of that is it's really powerful. Um, and uh, helpful to me at least, um, probably helpful to like, others as well um but yeah if you have anything to add go ahead but also i have a couple last questions so yeah no i think i will add and maybe i've already said this but i do i think that's the biggest thing is that like we can't control what our traumas are what our um we can't control where we came from or any of we can't control our, our family our parents and i think that you know it's our responsibility to parent 
parent ourselves, comfort ourselves the way that we need it. And it may look different for me than what it'll look like for you, but just knowing and being able to recognize like, what do I need right now? And giving that to ourselves. And I think that that's, I think that that's super powerful. So if I needed a wellness coach, I, I know I'll go to you. I feel like I'm already being wellness coached um, by you. And I'm, I already feel the value or like not, like not even in that way, but just like, it just feels like I'm already reaping the benefits from learning from your experiences. And I feel like I like after this will move forward um, in a way with like more tools to help me in my, with my mental health. Um, but also being careful to not like be too focused on mental health as we talked about earlier um, and uh, not having that, like, I don't want to say it, but like victim, victimized mindset, like, and just, I, I'm definitely, I don't know how you feel about it, but I'm definitely, um, I approach mental health from a point of like trying to like a growth mindset about it. I have been, and I, I do recognize that there are times where you're very, like, you literally can't do anything and you're like extreme anxiety, like very bad and you just need a complete break for a month or whatever. But, um, I definitely believe in like the growth mindset aspect of it. I'm going on a tangent, but if you want to um, speak on that and maybe I guess now would be a good time to like speak to your passion about um, being a wellness coach. Yeah. So to add to that, um, I think that I do think that what I've learned and my understanding as of today, because obviously it could totally change, but um, I think the biggest thing is just being aware and giving yourself like what you need um, in that moment, obviously in like a healthy way. But I think my biggest thing is, is if I'm really stressed out, I observe that I'm stressed out and I don't like, I try to say, what do I need right now? Do I need a break? Do I need to set this down? Like, um, am I overwhelmed? Do I need human connection? Like, I think it's just being aware of where you're at and then what do you need right now? And I think that's something um, I just I think that's something to just observe. And I think I learned that from Vipassana. It's just basically observing things. And that that's just that that is like the easiest thing of it is being an observer. And I think that my passion with what I'm doing now with, you know, wellness and life coaching is that I feel as if like I have I have gone through so many links to try to fix myself and I spent so much money, spent so much time, did all of this stuff. And I think that, you know, everyone needs an advisor. Everyone needs a guide, a, a guidance. Everyone needs a mentor. Like it's like how I was saying earlier that you know, we all have therapists, we all work out at the gym, we all do all of these things, spend all this money. But I what I personally believe is with wellness coaching, you can get taught the tools to kind of start your own journey. And that journey is totally solo. And the goal with most coaches is like, we don't want you to be a customer of ours for the rest of ever, we want to help give you the tools that we've learned that have helped us to send you on your way, to keep you down your journey. And I think a lot of times with mental health, they they keep you as a continuing customer. And I just realized that everything is already with inside of me, but I wouldn't have known that had I had not, 
you know, started my journey. And I think that since I am this far in my journey, which I still have a long way to go, a very long way to go. Um, it's just, I have passion for people who their interests are piqued about starting their own journey. And I love, you know, guiding people along the way, just as someone guided me along my way too. All good stuff. I want to comment on a couple of things. Um, I like that you said you have a long way to go because I constantly am reminding myself in moments where I'm like very happy and like things are going well. I remind myself that I'm not like invincible and that like, despite how strong I feel mentally in this very moment, like something can go terribly wrong tomorrow. And I know that I will have to, something could go terribly wrong and it'll be like a new thing that's wrong. Cause I, I know that I'm pretty confident that if something similar to what's happened in the past, that I've had to deal with already. If that happens again, I'll know how to deal with it. But there's things that I haven't been able, I haven't faced yet. And I know that I'm not invincible. I think it's important to remember that. And I, and a lot of people speak to that in terms of what, that same concept. And I listened to like this little sh- a short, like an Instagram reel the other day. And this guy was saying the same thing, similar. And he was like, like, like you're going to have really happy times. And don't let, like, realize in those happy times, like, obviously feel happy, but realize that, like, your life isn't always going to be up there. And you need to, like, try to, like, balance um, and, like, keep being in a state of contentness. Um, I I wish I could describe exactly what you said because it was very, it was gold. But um, besides that, about you saying I have a long way to go, um, I do, like, love what you said about, like, it's all about what you need right now. Um, And... I've also recognized that that is very important because there's a time in my life where I felt very poorly and I realized that what I didn't have, well, I felt very poorly firstly because I lost like a couple of really close friends and then I felt very poorly because I didn't have that like in Maslow's hierarchy, that like connection, like I didn't have friends. I didn't have like friend like I had people that I was friends with, but I didn't have like the very close friends that I was used to having. So for like, four months that was like my main focus it was like that's what I needed right at that moment and so my main focus was like cultivating deeper connections with the people that I was already friends with and also branching out um and then like I think the important part to note about that is that like there were other people in my life at the time that are like what are you doing like you should be doing this you should be applying to jobs you should be doing like why are you just like why are you spending a lot of your time with like people why are you going it's like no it's because and like someone like my sister actually had a discussion with her and she was questioning me and I was like, no, this is what I need right now. And I need you to like respect that. And like, and once I, once I solve this, then I'll, then I'll go on to those things. But like for now I need to do this. Um, and I think that's really important. And the fact that you're going to be coaching people on the, on that topic, I feel like that alone will be very valuable. And like, that is just like that, just that concept right there is like almost like all people need, I think. I mean, not like, but it's just like that, that, that focus, like life is a lot, like a lot of it is just about focus and like putting your focus in certain areas and put your focus in certain area and you, and you will like solve that problem and you'll do that thing. Um, but I did have, I did have a, I was going in a certain direction. Um, but, oh yeah, your wellness coaching. Um, I wanted to, to also 
add on to what you're saying about wellness coaching, because I told you earlier that I feel like wellness coaching is like similar to a therapist. Um, but I, I'm kind of like retracting what I said, because I feel like a therapist, you're right. You do go to them all the time. And like, oftentimes before therapy, I'm thinking about like what's going wrong in my life. Um, like, what can I think of that's like wrong that I want to fix? A lot of times it's, uh, there's nothing wrong. Like I've like worked through it and I feel okay. Um, but anyways, yeah, I think that a wellness coach serves, in my opinion, almost a better purpose or like to me, at least, like I would rather have a wellness coach right now than a therapist, because I feel like that wellness coach will, has a, I guess, has the ability to be more honest with me and like actually give um, advice and give you tools. Whereas a therapist at times, they just want to listen um, because that's what they're like, kind of like taught to do with, I think. I just listen and like kind of refrain from giving advice, um, which I think is good for a therapist sense. So maybe you should have a therapist, but at the same time, you should also have a wellness coach to get you to push you to do those things that that wellness coach has experienced and knows is a good way to go about um, whatever they're going through right now. And I feel like people have a, a misconceptions about wellness coaches about how like, but like, I feel like if they've listened to this entire call, they they will know that you've had the experiences to, to at least help them if someone's interested in getting a wellness coach of sorts. Um, but yeah, I I wanted to add too though that um, as far as like therapy versus wellness coach, life coach, that type of thing. Obviously, everyone everyone will say I'm a life coach. Like it's a thing. Like everyone will say I'm a wellness coach. So I definitely think that it's very important to vet out who it is that you're working with and make sure that like you resonate with them, like all of that for sure. But as far as like therapy and stuff goes, I think that there's a time and place for everything. Like I think there was a time that I was in such a crisis mode. I needed to be going to a therapist every week. And that's what I did. Um, but I started to feel like you that I felt that she was at, at a certain point, once I got out of crisis mode, she was almost like digging into, well, what can we talk about now? And that wasn't really super productive for me because I didn't need to dig into my traumas. Like I, I needed, I needed daily practices to continue on my life. So what I found with like coaches that I've worked with and what I do with people that I work with is that we actually give you an I'm speaking for myself, but I actually give tools for things that I have done that have been super beneficial for me and that have been life-changing for me. Instead of me talking to you, hearing about your problems, giving you the answers, the actual key is giving you practices for you to find your own answers. And I think that's the biggest thing that I have found like with like advisors, coaches that I've had is like, they will never say, let me hear your problems. Let me give you advice. Never. The key is, is to give you practices. So you figure it out by your, yourself. And I think something that you were talking about earlier in reference about just like the ups and downs of life is that one of my advisors said to me one time that spirituality and like all of this stuff is really, it's really like being a surfer. Like if you've never surfed before, you're terrified of this wave that you're, that you may be embarking on. But if you're an experienced surfer, you're not really like, you may be kind of scared, but you've done this before. You know how to like ride this wave and it's fine. And I was really thinking about that concept. And it's like, you know, if I go through another like 
something terrible with my health, or if I go through another like breakup with a person or a business partner or whatever, like I now know I have the tools to deal with that because I've experienced it before and I've gotten through it. And I think that that's really kind of like the thing with life is just, you know, gaining those tools and gaining the skills to navigate life so that you're not scared of it. When things come up, when a big wave comes, you're not scared. You know how to navigate. And I think that's the biggest thing with like wellness coaches um, is that they give you the tools and let you find your own answers. Yep. And I feel like we both talked about how if we go through an experience similar to that, that we had in the past, that we'd feel confident that we'd be able to ride that wave. Mm -hmm. You got me thinking that I feel like there is a muscle you can build in your brain where it's like almost like say like something, almost anything that can step in front of your path. Like there is, I feel like there is a muscle you can build where it's like, all right, let me sit back breathe, relax, analyze the situation and like, like separate yourself from the problem or whatever's going on and just like be mindful. I mean, obviously like I personally haven't dealt with like grief from like someone that's, that has died. That's like very close to me and my family. So I'm kind of afraid of that, that coming. And like, I don't know how I'll ever deal with that, but I feel like when that day does come, I think the, the problem solving and the the heartbreak and the very low lows that I've been in in the past will definitely benefit me in those in that moment because it's just at the end of the day it's dealing with grief, I suppose, and dealing with a traumatic situation. Um, do you want to talk about the stages of grief and then we can start to close? Um, or I feel like that's like an unnatural way to go about it because we were talking about stages of grief earlier. And well, yeah, I mean, I think that, um, yeah, I, I think bottom line is, is like, I think grief looks different for everybody. And I think just like we talked about just staying in tune with yourself and listening to what you need. Um, and even like when you said like being kind of not worried, but like wondering about what, what you're, how you're going to handle losing somebody. I just, in my heart, I kind of laugh. Cause I'm like, when you go to Vipassana, all those things, like, it's just, it, all the answers come like, it's just, just crazy. And, um, so yeah, I think bottom line, it all just boils down to, we already have everything that we need to handle any situation and to, um, not only like get through hard times, but get through like really great times too. Like we have all of the things that we already need. We don't need anything exterior. We don't need to change anything about ourselves. We just need to sharpen those tools, um, to learn that, learn that stuff. So Real cool, real good stuff. Um, so I guess I want to ask one last question um, and then we'll close because I want this to go too long. This is the longest one I've had yet. But um, oh. I think all of it is like valuable and I'm, I'm really just in it because I enjoy the conversation myself and I selfishly want to learn more. And <laughs> I, I know that if someone like, if someone in our audience watched through like the first 10 minutes, like there's, no doubt in my mind that they continue watching to the very end because there's a lot of valuable information here about spirituality and just like, I'm sure that they'd be motivated to do Vipassana. We talked about Vipassana. Um, yeah, let me just break through. Let me, I'd like to recap a little bit what we talked about before we close. Yeah. Um, we talked about your story. So you started off, I hope that I get all this, these facts straight, but you started off, you had a real estate brokerage and then 
being started a coma because of your relationship with your partner. And then also at the same time, you had a doctor's appointment that was just like traumatic to be at. Like they like uncovered something that you knew about in the past, but you didn't know it was that bad. And that both those things of this real estate and also the doctor's appointment propelled you to go to Thailand, um, to an island that you named earlier. And you had a very spiritual moment there for three months um, where they taught you that you need to stop yourself improvement um, process or, or, or project. Project, and, yeah. Yeah, and it was just a place where everybody was growing and um, like I guess they all had these, most people there it seems had like some sort of health issue and they all worked through it um, with like Eastern medicine practices using things like nutrition and um, dealing with like, like stress, dealing with stress and also like adjusting nutrition in order to um, solve some health problems. And then after Thailand, you had a Vipassana retreat, um, which you explained in depth together. And then after Vipassana is what we didn't talk about. So I think it's a good time right now for you to share with us like what your life is like right now, um, where you're living, not like the exact location, but like what you're living in. <laughs> and then, um, and yeah, and just like what your goals are moving forward. Yeah. So I wanted to clear up like a few things because I just, I don't want to deter anybody from going. So like Copenhagen, where I went in Thailand is actually, it's like, it's not even, it's for anyone and everyone, like people that I met there, like I met a guy who owned a huge record label for 40 years in the UK. Like I met people that were struggling from addiction. Like it's, it's really just like a hippie paradise. Um, so it has nothing. It's not even really a place for like health. It's just when you go there, because it's such a spiritual hippie place, you meet people that have all different types of stories, like all different types. So Copenhagen, like definitely. Um, and while I was in Copenhagen, that's where I did the Vipassana retreat. Oh. So I did. I did a yoga retreat and a Vipassana retreat all in Copenhagen, in, which is an island in Thailand. So, um, so yeah, that's why I'm like, my time in Thailand was crazy. But um, so yeah, so when I came back from Thailand, I moved into a RV on 24 acres because I decided that I was going to dedicate the next like three to six months of my life um, healing my physical body. Uh, cause I felt like for the past three months before I had been healing my emotional body and now I wanted to focus on healing my physical body. And so that's kind of where I transitioned into doing this, like raw vegan, all these herbs that I'm taking, juicing, dry fasting, whatever. So, um, for the past four months, it'll be four months tomorrow. Um, for the past four months, I've been living in an RV on 22 or 24 acres um, in the middle of nowhere. Something that I didn't mention is that I actually had to stop driving um, last August. So I'm living on 24 acres just there because I don't have transportation. I don't drive because of my vision. Um, so I've basically been living in isolation for the past four months. And my family does live in the surrounding area that live nearby, but talking about having no friends, like nothing. Um, I've basically like, I've dedicated, I've given up all of my relationships. My, I don't have a job right now, like everything. Um, or I say, I don't have a job. I don't have like, I'm not doing real estate, like all of that. So 
Um, I've dedicated the past four months to really focusing on my physical health because I feel like my mental health has been, it will always be going, but I'm feel pretty like healed at this point with that. So I wanted to focus on my physical health. So my plan was to um, do this. And then um, this is a whole other story, but I actually, a part of my physical healing journey and really my emotional journey is getting back to me, my authentic self. And uh, when I was maybe six years ago, I got, I chose in a very poor headspace to get breast implants. Mm -hmm. And so a part of my physical healing journey is I'm actually getting my breast implants removed and I'm doing that in three weeks. Mm -hmm. And um, so uh, a part of the reason why I came back to the United States is because I wanted to get surgery with family. I didn't want to do it like alone. So plan was come back, spend four months in an RV, get my body clean, healed, get surgery. So in, um, in a couple of weeks, I will be traveling to Mexico to get uh, my surgery, to get my implants taken out. And my plan is to stay in Mexico for a couple of months um, because I uh, want to continue this, this journey of physical, emotional, like I just, I want to continue this journey um, and deepen all of like my practices. So that's kind of what's next for me is I'll be in Mexico. <laughs> you're like a free spirit. That's like a sufficient answer of like what, what where your head's at now and where you're going. Um, is there, uh, I had something in my head and I forgot it again. Um, it's the end of the day now. So it's like, it's harder to, to speak, <laughs> but, um, yeah. Oh yeah. So when you went to Thailand, it was, it seemed like it was really a calling. Like it, 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 if, if I'm not mistaken, does it feel like a calling to go to Mexico or, or not as much? Yeah, no, it's definitely, it's, it's crazy because I've gone back and forth a million times about if I'm going to go or not. Um, and it's, it's crazy. Cause we were talking about like how this is a journey. Like last week I was kind of in like a downward spiral, like wondering what am I doing? Like, how did I get here? You know, like it's, it's always, it's no matter who you talk to, no matter how far along the spiritual journey, like we all have doubts, we all have fears, um, whatever. So, yeah, I mean, it's, when I was in Thailand, I knew that I didn't really want to go back to um, living a traditional life that I had been living. And for some reason, Mexico was really calling my name because it was still close enough for me to fly back to be with family. And um, and honestly, I could bring my dog there very easily. <laughs> so... Um, so I spent a lot of time doing research about Mexico and it just made a lot of sense. I, because I'm no longer driving anymore, um, I need to live in a city where I can get around with, uh, without driving. And in the United States, there's only a couple of cities that are like that, that you can, that has public transportation. And most of those cities are very grind hustle, like very busy lifestyles. And I, at this point, point in my life as of today right now this could change but i really am wanting to still focus on my physical and emotional healing so i really don't want to have the distractions of living in a big city so 
so yeah, Mexico was really kind of like a no brainer for me because it's close enough to home. I can bring my dog and, um, the place that the specific place places that I've been looking at, I don't need to be able to drive a car. So, uh, that's kind of my idea of what I'm going to be doing for the next couple of months. But I kind of look at my life now in chapters and I'm like, this is what's going to happen for the next month, two months, three months. But who knows? I may be back in Texas or I may be living in New York City in six months. Like you never really know. <laughs> I feel like that's the best way to go about it. About it. Uh, at least personally, I like to just people, I guess the generic way to say is go with the flow. But like, I like yeah. to just go with, I guess, the way we talk about it is like what, what you need right now. Right. Exactly. Yeah. It's like the same concept. Um, people like, I feel like it's frowned upon to say you're going with the flow, the flow, but people take it more seriously. They're like, I'm doing what I need to do right now. Um, and I feel like what you're doing for yourself right now is, I mean, it's, it's, it's vital, but it's for, for the current moment. But at the same time, I feel like when you're, I mean, a year from now, you'll like the, the value that you got from that will benefit you and like whatever you decide to be doing because you'll be in the best headspace you'll be like the best version of yourself and it's like it'll just it'll just it'll just be relentless i guess relentless might not be the best word but you'll just be unstoppable (laughs) no yeah and obviously we could keep talking for forever but i i wanted to say so like one of like my biggest teachers when i was in copenhagen it was a gentleman named Fluke. I actually did a podcast with him because I, I started a podcast channel because I really wanted to introduce all of the people that all the people that have taught me, I wanted to introduce them to my sphere of influence. So I had Fluke come on my podcast a couple of weeks ago and like everything that he shared, like I like I've like all of my friends and family, like you have to listen to this man. Like he changed like so much perspective of my life, but Um, I definitely wanted to like plug that and say that like you, if you feel like I have insightful thoughts, like I I don't know anything, like I know nothing. Um, definitely like I want to share like some of the stuff that I've done because a lot of people wouldn't choose to do what I did. Wouldn't choose to go to some random remote hippie Island on the other side of the world. So like, I wanted to bring, you know, the people that have been impacting my life to my sphere of influence. Um, but there was something that you said that I was going to touch on, but I don't remember okay. now. I think I told you just to touch on like where you're at right now, but. That... Yeah. Um, no, there was something that you just said before that, that I was going to touch on. Um, what you need I... right now, what you need to do right now. Um, whatever. I I think like what you said just now about us being able to talk for forever, I agree with. And I think that this would be a good time to plug your um your like social media and your um podcast channel. Um and then yeah, that'll be the end. Yeah. Well, first of all, thank you so much for your time. Um, it's been super beautiful to connect with like other like somebody else that's like-minded and that's you know going on a journey. So definitely thank you so much for your time um, and your energy with this conversation. But yeah, um, if anyone wants to follow my journey, um, I am basically on all social media platforms as Jordan L. Hankins. Um, My website is jordanlhankins.com. I'm on Instagram, TikTok, YouTube. I've been documenting my entire life from being a real estate agent 
to finding out I was diagnosed with a disease, to going to Thailand, being in an RV. And now the next chapter is being in Mexico and getting my breast implants taken out. So you can find me uh, with Jordan L. Hankins. And I do have a podcast and it's called it's called the journey. It's literally called, it's called the journey. So, um, I'll be introducing everybody that has been impacting, teaching me, influencing my life on that podcast, because like I said, I don't know anything. Um, I want to share all the people that have influenced me. I want to share them with others. So yeah. Thank you so much. Thank you as well. I think it's great to be humble, but you do know a lot. Um, I also (laughs) practice being humble and and say the same thing that I mean, all of us don't really know anything at all. Um, right. so it's a factual statement, but you, I think that you would be a great wellness coach. And I want people to know that. And um, yeah, it's been wonderful talking to you and hearing about your story. Um, like I said earlier, I feel um, like I've, I feel like I've reaped the benefits of being like a client of yours as a wellness coach, even though we were just having a brief conversation, like just hearing your story is very impactful um, and makes me feel, and I'm sure it makes others feel, feel like validated and like the things that they're going through as well. Um, and also not only validated, but like make, give, gives people hope um, because of how low you were um, and how your, your ability to get out of it. And I think um, me and you together can help promote Vipassana as a meditation. Um, yes. Yeah, it was great talking to you and I. Thank you so much.